Good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Dylan. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I'm privileged to be able to teach God's Word today. We're continuing our series, The Comeback, that Pastor Paul has been teaching the past couple of weeks that focuses on the Jews' return from exile. It's a historical account of how God brought his people back from Babylon, back from this faraway land, and reestablished them at home. And they faced some problems, some of the problems caused by themselves, some of the problems caused by the enemy. And if you haven't listened to these previous messages, I encourage you to do so. You can uh, find them on our website, or you can download the new app that's launching next Sunday. It's actually launching Tuesday, so if you wanted to update it early, great. If you're not sure how to update your app, there will be people in the foyer after service next Sunday to help you do that. And uh, you'll be able to review upcoming events, sermon notes, so you no longer have to get all this paper and we can save the trees. Uh, But they'll still be there if you would like them. Um, So we encourage you to download that app and keep up with everything that's happening here. But before I move on, would you pray with me as we open God's Word today? Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you that you guide us, that you don't leave us directionless in life, but that you help us. I pray that you'd speak to us today through your Word we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. When I was a teenager, I liked to go to bed fairly early, as I have all my life. I like to go to bed at like 8 or 9 p.m. I'm like that old guy stuck in a young body. Uh, The problem, though, is that my younger brother is a night owl. Uh, I had the only computer on the second floor of my house growing up. My dad was a big gamer, so the computer downstairs was always taken up by him. So my brother would come into my room as I'm trying to sleep and play the notorious B.I.G., Biggie Smalls, until 1 or 2 a.m. as I grew up. And through my teen years, I think I learned all of Biggie Smalls' songs by accident in my sleep, by osmosis. Uh, And I guess I should thank my brother because now I can sleep through a hurricane. But one of his more successful songs is called Mo Money, Mo Problems. The refrain of the song says... I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. The Beatles correctly noted that money can't buy me love, and yet we're more materialistic and discontented as a society than ever. According to an article written by the Huffington Post called The Psychology of Materialism and Why It's Making You Unhappy, the average American today compared to about 70 years ago is more affluent, owns double the number of vehicles, eats better, and yet they're less happy, much more likely to experience some kind of social pathology or mental disorder. According to the American Psychological Association, our well-being has, if anything, declined since the 1950s. Another startling statistic from the APA is that suicide rates have spiked 33% since 1999. It has become the second leading cause of death for those ages 10 to 34 in the United States today. It's the fourth leading cause of death for those ages 35 to 54 in the United States today. People taking their own lives in spite of all of our prosperity. So how does a society that is so externally prosperous leave us feeling so internally bankrupt? How did we get to where we are? And plenty of people blame younger or older generations, social media, a lack of mindfulness, bad politics, and the list goes on and on and on. But I think the scriptures give us a different answer. I think looking back is going to help us look forward. And to understand our problem better, ask the right questions, and most importantly, find the right answers, I want us to take a look at the writings of an ancient Jewish prophet by the name of Haggai. 
It's on page 879 in your Bibles if you'd like to follow along in the chair Bibles. You can follow along in an app. We'll be reading that in just a moment. Haggai addressed the Jews when they had stopped working on God's temple and began focusing on their own material accumulation. They had begun focusing on their own families, their own homes, their own jobs, their own well-being, and had forgotten the work God had called them to do for 16 years. I believe his teachings for the ancient Israelites can teach us something today as modern Americans. Because as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, what has been will be again, and there is nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes 1.9. I think Haggai provides us the answer to the question, where can we really find peace? So let's read Haggai together. Again, that, if you're looking for that in the Pew Bibles in front of you, that is page 879. We're going to be starting in verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shetil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into bags with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua and the remnant of all the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, in the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that today it would accomplish what you've you've intended it to. It would produce fruit and return to you in the form of faithfulness in us. And we ask it in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. One of my favorite books of all time is The Great Gatsby. I've always been enamored with jazz and the period of American history, stretching from the Roaring Twenties to the post-World War II era. I've just always been fascinated by it. And for the week of my 18th birthday, my mom took my brothers, myself, and our girlfriends to a Newport, Rhode Island Airbnb. We rented a house on the coast. Now, I wasn't a believer at this point, but I felt this growing, gnawing sense of emptiness within myself I could not explain. But I was excited to get away from it all to see Newport because the 1970s movie adaption of The Great Gatsby was filmed there. And as I stood looking out over the bay where the film was created, I couldn't help but resonate with him a little bit. Obviously, I'm not 
financially uh, uh, wealthy and mysterious, in case you thought it was, but uh, like Gatsby, I had a great life on the outside. A great girlfriend, a seemingly bright future, but it felt like none of it was ever enough. And I remember walking down the street in Newport and passing this uh, street vendor who sells uh, rosary beads. And I didn't know anything about Christianity or Catholicism or anything like that. I just, I just knew I needed God some way to speak to me. And I saw the cross and these rosary beads, and I basically threw money at the street vendor and took these, these rosary beads, and I would wrap them around my hand every week at night and just that night and pray and ask God to help me and please speak to me. Because I think it's a hollowing experience to have everything that people say is supposed to make you happy and yet feel completely vacant. And Haggai, I think, saw this in the Israelites. Listen to what he says about them in verse 6. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. He who earns wages does so to put them in bags with holes. The Jews had life's necessities and yet were perpetually unfulfilled by them. Never enough harvest, never enough food, never enough drink, never enough clothing, never enough money. It's like Rockefeller's uh, classic answer to the question, how much money is enough? Just one more dollar. And Jesus himself said it simply enough, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions, Luke 12, 15. See, I think I always knew what life wasn't about, but I had trouble defining the opposite. I knew what wouldn't bring me peace, but I couldn't say what would. Since I can remember, I've been searching out the answer to that question, where can I find peace? And in Newport, I dreamed that maybe one day I'd answer it, that somehow I'd find rest, meaning, and fulfillment that I've always been searching for. Uh, we here as a staff, we, ha- we have to take this battery of personality profiles and psychological evaluations because we're, we're a little crazy. But uh, when we come on staff, we, we go through a battery of tests, personality, inventories, spiritual gift tests, all of these things. And you can actually take some of them, by the way, if you take Next, which happens 9 to 10 a.m. every week in the overflow room. We uh, make these available to you so you can take some. One of them is called the Enneagram. And the Enneagram test classifies me as a type 9, a peacemaker. And without explaining what that means, it identifies how you behave, what your basic fears and what your basic desires are, and it breaks those things down. According to the test, which for me hit the nail spot on the head, my greatest desire, my most basic desire is for peace, which I'm sure resonates with a lot of you. If I could just get more peace, I feel like my life would be okay. And the Israelites, just like you and I, thought they found it. They came home, they're back in the place that they've dreamt of, they got what they wanted, but without God in the middle of it. And this reminds me of another episode in Jewish history when God is tired of the Israelites rejecting him, and in Exodus chapter 33, he says, fine, you want the promised land? Go ahead. I'll give you the land flowing with milk and honey. I don't care, but I'm not going with you. And that has been, I think, God's people's biggest temptation, our biggest temptation since time began. If you have the blessings of God without God, you think you'll be okay. Think about Adam and Eve. They wanted knowledge and eternal life, independent of God. That's why they ate the fruit. Because they wanted that instead of a loving, dependent, blessed relationship with God. And Moses says to God, no, I'm not going to go up. I will not go unless your presence goes with me. 
And I wish we all had that heart at all times. The Israelites in Haggai's day are living in the city they always dreamed of, but the temple at the center of it is rubble and ruin. They got where they dreamed of and it wasn't what they thought. Notice the things they're laboring for instead of God's house. Work, food, drink, clothing, financial accumulation. Does that sound familiar at all? I think all of us believe if we had more of those things, we'd be okay. If we could just have more work, better nutrition, more fun, more financial provision and stability, then we'd finally be happy. Where can you find peace? Number one, not in blessings. And this is so counterintuitive to human nature, but as we've seen on a societal level over the past century, more stuff does not equal more peace. And I think the primary reason that we come to these services, we listen to sermons and we sing songs, and yet we're still so anxious, so depressed, so dissatisfied, is that we're so wrapped up in our own stuff. And we're obsessed with ourselves and our own little pursuits. Paul the Apostle said it this way, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him in 2 Timothy 2.4. There are persecuted Christians all over the world who have had property, peace of mind, family, health, even their lives taken away. And yet in the face of all of that, they still have joy and peace. Why? What makes life worthwhile and satisfactory when everything is missing? How do they have such peace? It's because for them, God is enough. And wealth, personal pursuits, all of it, it's a huge distraction for us in the United States. That's why Jesus said it's easier for a prostitute to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a wealthy wealthy person to. We severely overestimate our own ability to manage stuff without thinking it's going to manage us. The devil will constantly make you false promises. He is trying with all of his might to neutralize you, to keep you out of the fight, to disqualify you from the race, and be focused on your own little life so that not only you but your children are rendered useless for the Lord. At Teen Challenge this week, as you saw earlier, the Munley family spoke on legacy and how one man's decision to follow Jesus changed not only three generations after him, but his own mother came to faith and his own aunts and uncles came to faith and that redemption spread out from there and that, that heritage, that legacy emanated from him because of his decision to put Jesus first. But the enemy would love you to leave a legacy of materialism and selfishness to your children. He's hoping that the primary legacy and the primary inheritance you give your kids is financial and what a poor inheritance that would be. It's liberating when you stop chasing acclaim, power, position, wealth, security, and all of those things and you endeavor to start pleasing God. And is it it your heart's desire to please God today? Or are you just trying to get him to bless you and get off your back? Psalm 127 says it this way, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Blessings without God are simply sweet curses. 
So just like the modern American, the Israelite and Haggai's day began toiling away at their own houses, their own homes. Listen to verses 7 to 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer is one of my personal heroes. He was a pastor in Germany during the Second World War who was executed by the Nazis. And he said this, Earthly possessions dazzle our eyes and delude us into thinking they can provide security and freedom from anxiety. Yet all the time they are the very source of anxiety. God tells the Israelites in this section, Consider your ways. For just a moment, just consider them. Stop explaining them. Don't justify them. Just consider them. Is your life that you're leading today one that God would say is dedicated to him? Is it, is it really? I, I can't convince you it is or isn't. I'm no prophet. I'm not in your heart and your mind. But I can say along with the prophet Jeremiah, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Jeremiah 17 Nine, you really should second guess your own explanations as to why you're living your life the way that you are. Is God's best being lived out in your life right now? Are you going to be proud when you stand before him at what you have to offer him? Or are you going to shrink back in shame because it's never too late to begin living the life that God intended you to live? All of this is going to burn up one day anyway. <laughs> You can't take it with you. I have this memory, actually, speaking of things getting taken away. When I was growing up in a house in New York, my parents bought a fixer-upper just north of Albany, uh, and they put a lot of heart and a lot of work into it. Uh, my mom liked to renovate and would randomly put me on renovation tasks, like, Dylan, you're demoing a bathroom today. And, of course, I was like a teenager, so, yeah, I wanted to destroy stuff. And one day, uh, it was a beautiful home. One day, I was in my room playing video games, my brothers were more of the outdoorsmen, you know, they were like Esau, I was like Jacob, I liked to stay inside, and they were mad that I wouldn't come out and play with them. Uh, my adoptive dad had recently purchased each of us a Red Rider BB gun. Does anybody remember those? Yeah. Uh, and my brothers began shooting these little metallic pellets at my window to irritate me. You can see how this is going to end already. Uh, well, my adoptive dad came home from work and saw that the window was cracked, and let's just say I was the only one with a BB gun after that. I have never seen a grown man snap metal over his knee so quickly. Uh, it was impressive. Sometimes I think our possessions get stripped away from us. And it's one of the most merciful things God can do is to take away what we falsely think is valuable. Sometimes I feel like when we start piling together whatever we think is important to us, like a big pile of money, God comes along with a cosmic leaf blower and just blasts it away. God said it this way to the Israelites, you brought it home and I blew it away. Why? Because you've neglected my house, my concerns, and me. None of us really think we're doing it until the rug's pulled out from underneath us. It's, it's so subtle. We, it doesn't even have to be a physical possession. I mean, we create idols to worship out of all sorts of things. Jobs and relationships and family and career. And, and we take it from its proper place as a blessing from God and put it in the place where we're living for that thing. John Calvin, the great church reformer, said it this way, the human heart 
is an idle factory. According to Haggai, where can you find peace? Number two, not in what you have lost. It's easy to look at what the Lord has blown away and think, if I could have only held on to it. Ecclesiastes 7.10 says, Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. I could easily look back at my life and see more financially comfortable situations, more relationally satisfying times, and more meaningful moments in life if I wanted to, but there is no peace in the rearview mirror. Nostalgia is like pouring high fructose corn syrup all over your past. It's going to taste great and kill you, and you'll lose your appetite for the present. As the Lord Jesus himself said, don't try to save your life or you will lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake will gain it. For what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Mark 8. The Israelites tricked themselves with their own spiritual talk. They, they were talking with spiritual language. Look at what they were saying in verse 2. The time hasn't come yet to build the house of the Lord. Sixteen years elapsed. And I feel like the prophet Haggai is coming to them and saying, and when would be a convenient time for you to start? We all say things like this all the time. I mean, I'll serve God once I get settled in a house. I'll serve God when my kids are a little older. I'll serve God when my kids are in college. I'll serve God when I can finally get my kids through college and and I'm retired and have a little bit more time. And the next thing you know, it's 20 years later, you're empty, discontented because you've spent decades laboring over your own house. And don't get me wrong. Listen, ministry to your children is one of your highest priorities as a parent. It's not a pastor's job to raise them in the Lord. God's given you that privilege. But what are you really teaching them? Do they see sacrifice, devotion, and love for the Lord in your life? Or just lip service to him? The Israelites knew how to play the game and say the right things. They're saying, God's house is important. Yes, we agree, that's the house of the Lord. But it's just not time for me yet. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, The one who watches the wind will not sow, and the one who pays attention to the clouds will never reap. In the same way the Israelites have neglected God's house, we neglect God's house. And don't misunderstand me, I'm not referring to this physical building. Pastor Paul says all the time, burn this thing to the ground, it's not important, this is not the church, we are. And yet we're so busy with our own concerns that we can't serve anyone around us. No wonder we're so dissatisfied, not just as a society, but as Christians and as a church. Younger people, listen to me for a moment. Don't say, I'll follow God when, when I get the right job, when I get settled, when I find the right spouse, when I get settled in a home, once I get through college. Because when you crest over that hill, thinking you're content enough then to serve God, you will find it doesn't satisfy and you'll begin chasing the next thing. If Haggai could say it this way, where can you find peace? Number three, I think he'd say, not in the next milestone. You're not going to find it there. One of Satan's greatest deceptions is a sin called covetousness. It's nostalgia in reverse, believing that the next thing's going to satisfy you. That if I could just get over there, if I could get to the next place or the next person or the next job or the next milestone, then I can serve God. And it will kill you just as quickly as nostalgia will. 
Haggai then writes down the response of what the people did to his message. He says, Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, the high priest, and all the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet and the Lord, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. And Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts their God. Verse 12 to 14. It's never too late to, be, to stop fixating on the things that you've been looking at. It's never too late to begin to seek out God's intention for your life. The Jews had wasted 16 years, but God encourages them. He says, forget what's behind. I'm with you now. Let's begin the building. In, in Haggai chapter 2, he says, my spirit is in the midst of you. Therefore, let's do the work. Let's get to it. Earlier this week, as you heard from Pastor Paul, a group of us, we went to Teen Challenge and we walked through spiritual freedom with the men and women that were there. It was a six-hour conference, and I organized it to the best of my ability. I preached two of those sessions. We were praying for people. Uh, During Vivian's teaching on how to biblically deal with grief, God's Spirit just flooded into the room, and people were just crying and seeking God. I mean, God's temple was being built in the hearts and minds of people there. And it was beautiful. The funny thing is, I didn't feel any of it. During each of my sessions, through all of my preaching and all of my praying, I felt nothing. Uh, During my last session on healing from parental wounds, God's Spirit showed up again. People were really touched. I mean, people were wailing in prayer. But the whole time, I didn't feel good about any of it. It drained me. I felt pretty anxious and dreadful the entire time, but the Lord's temple was built. Something I think I've discovered over my relatively short life is that I often don't feel good about what God tells me to do, but my comfort is in the fact that God is with me, not in the work itself. And don't get me wrong, there is work to be done. God commanded the work to be done. Just because the work isn't bringing you peace doesn't mean you ought to stop doing it. But if you're looking for peace in work, you're going to be disappointed. Peace won't be found in a paneled house, in a money bag, a perfect little family, or an adventure. But this is the shocker. Neither will peace be found in the work. Where can you find peace? Number four, not in work for God. And after the Israelites begin building this temple, they complete it. And they're dissatisfied with it. They look at it and they say, is this it? It's nothing. And for those of you who have been Christians a little while, this is the most subtle disillusionment you can experience. When you mix up working for God with being with God. And at this point, a lot of Christians give up. They walk away. They say, "If, if this is all I'm laboring for, I'm done. Serving God does not pay. And you know what? They're right. If you think doing things for Jesus is going to satisfy your soul, you're in for a very slow subtle, poisonous disappointment that will stretch out over years. It's like drinking coffee to stay hydrated. You get a little rush, your throat gets dry, your hands start to shake, and you'll get kidney stones eventually. Listen, coffee isn't meant to hydrate you. Some of you need to hear this this morning, all right? You're sucking down like four Dunkin' Donuts iced coffees a day. That's not healthy. You need water. And that's what it's like when we think we mix up being with God for working with God. Some of us are standing on the outside of the temple, looking at it, criticizing it, and we need to step into it. 
You're disappointed in it, criticizing it all the time. All the while, God's inviting you to step in. And some of us are discouraged and lacking rest today because we've tried to find peace where it was never meant to be found, working on the temple rather than being in it. I'm going to call uh, Thomas back at this time if I could. I think he's out there if somebody wants to grab him. Uh, In response to their letdown, God says this in Haggai chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to this verse. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And here's the catcher. Listen to this. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Like, really, in this perfect, small, little place, God, you're going to give me peace. I've said a lot this morning about where you can't find peace, but where can we find peace? Number five, in the temple. In the temple. Uh, Not long after my trip to Newport, I was uh, driving home from a long day of class and work, and I was in college at the time, and I was completely drained. Uh, I began praying during my 30-minute car ride home out loud, and it was one of the first times I began to pray out loud, repenting of sin and asking God to forgive me. I remember thinking, God, I'm, I'm just so tired of looking for satisfaction in in sex and in career and in good grades and in relationships. I'm empty. Please forgive me. Please help me. And I just began to beg God and cry out loud. I mean, I was driving 60 miles an hour with tears in my eyes and couldn't see a thing. Terrible decision, but God met me there. And I flipped on the radio And an Egyptian radio preacher by the name of Michael Youssef was preaching on John chapter 14. And Jesus says this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And he goes on to say, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And after the sorrow for my sins, something incredible happened. I felt a wave of relief and peace for the first time in my life that nothing else had ever given me. No relationship, no success. And I was just crying tears of joy, going 60 miles an hour down a highway, which to date I think is the fastest conversion in church history. And for the first time, I understood that peace is not in what I could get, but what God has already given. And God has given us himself. Philippians 3.8 has become somewhat of a tagline I've adopted for my life. And it says this, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. The King James says, I count them as dung, garbage, in order that I may gain Christ. Jesus looked at the temple hundreds of years after Haggai and said, tear this thing down and I'll rebuild it in three days. Christ himself became our temple so that the presence of God would spread out from that one place and inhabit every inch of creation and let the peace of God rule in the entire earth. The book of Ephesians says, God himself is our peace. 
And Jesus did this so the real work on the temple could begin, so that you and I could participate in it, not find our peace in it, but participate in the work of the Lord. He wanted you to be a part of building that temple, which Haggai's temple was just a shadow of. He says this in 1 Peter, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer sacrifices to God. You may lack blessing in your current life. You you might lack what you hoped for in the past or hoped for in the future. You might not have what you want, but what you can be guaranteed is that if you are with God and you're about His business, you will have peace that the world can't give you. Peace is found when you're with God and with His people. God said through Haggai, in this place, I will give peace. Not in the work on this place, not in what you lost to get here, not in the things you've suffered in order for me to get your attention, but in this place, inside this temple, you will find peace. And I believe that peace is available for you this morning. I believe that whatever you've been chasing and that whatever God's blown away, that he's going to replace it with something far better, himself. I'm going to close with this. A, uh, there was an athlete at the turn of the 19th century in England. His name was C.T. Studd. He was wealthy, famous. He had everything the world said was supposed to make him happy. But he felt entirely empty. He was a, a world-famous cricket player. And C.T. Studd felt the call of God to give up all of his money and to move his two children and his wife who were young at the time, to China to be missionaries, which at the time was one of the most unreached places in the world. And he wrestled with this because he had everything that was supposed to make him happy, yet he felt empty. And he finally made the, de- the decision. He said, fine, God, have it your way. He gave away wealth, acclaim, and he moved to a country where nobody knew him. And after years of ministry, he wrote this poem that I want to read to you. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding my selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life twill soon pass, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with the clay I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. I'm going to invite you to stand. I want you to take just a moment in worship to ask God to give you peace this morning. Let's do that. <laughs>